never sung that before, so we'll keep working on it. We'll open your Bibles again to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We find ourselves today in chapter 5 of this book, and the plan is to be in 1 Thessalonians today, and then one more time next Sunday, and then we'll move on to a new sermon series the first part of October, a series that I'm calling Notable Nights in the Bible. Notable Nights. That's not people in armor on a horse, I'm at nighttime. Notable Nights in the Bible. We'll start that, God willing, in October. But first we've got to finish up our study of First Thessalonians, a series we've been in for a while that we've called Keep Looking Up. And we come to chapter 5, and we're still dealing with end times prophecy. And as I thought about this, you know, I, I think there are at least two types of Christians when it comes to end times prophecies, when it comes to talking about the end times. The first type of Christian, they love it. They're fascinated by it. They can't get enough of it. They want to talk about it. They want to debate it sometimes. They want to really focus. They're all into to looking at end times prophecy. The second type accepts it. They believe it, but they don't really want to spend a lot of time uh, talking about it. Maybe because they see it as confusing. Uh, maybe because they can't quite wrap their arms around so much and it kind of frustrates them. And so they accept it, they believe it, but they're not nearly as excited as the first type. And, you know, as I thought about it, you, you might could actually add a third type. And there may be some who really, they don't see it relevant for where they are and what they're doing and where they're living in the moment. And so it's nice, but it's not really necessary to spend too much time upon it. Now, I know I'm generalizing and I, I may be wrong, but I just want you to think about for a moment, what is your attitude? What are your thoughts? How do you feel when you understand that the sermon or the lesson is on end times prophecies? When you're going to be studying the end of what we know and where we live today. What is your attitude toward that? Well, I can tell you, regardless of your attitude toward that, I want to give you some principles, some things to help you as you're thinking about prophecy, as you're thinking about the end times. And, and just going to give you three I, I came up with here that I think will be helpful. And this will be helpful not just for today, but any time you're thinking about the end times, any time you're, you're, you're studying Bible prophecy. And, and it's some principles to remember for studying prophecy. Number one, we need to keep an attitude of humility when it comes to studying prophecy. An attitude of humility. Different people who love Jesus, who long for His return, who can't wait to be in heaven, they're going to view certain parts of end times prophecies. They may interpret things slightly differently than you and I may. And the truth of the matter is, that's okay. We need to be humble about these things. As has been noted, when it comes to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. It's important to remember that. And whether we get every I dot and every T crossed, it's not going to hinder the Lord. He's going to return exactly when He's supposed to return in the exact way that He's going to return and I don't think a one of us can say, well, I got that wrong or I was right about that. We're just going to be excited that the Lord Jesus has come back to get us. So we need to have a humility about us whenever we're studying prophecy. Some people don't. 
Some people are very, very hard about certain things, but I think there's a humility here when it comes to studying prophecy. Secondly, we need to hold on to the certainty of His return. Even though we may not understand all the details, we may not understand exactly how everything's going to work, we've got to know, God wants us to know that He is coming again. I ran across this in my study. This is from Gene Getz. You'll find this interesting, I think. Both the Old and New Testaments are filled with the promises of the second coming of Christ. Now listen to this. Here's the Old Testament. Someone has reported there are 1,000 845 references in the Old Testament alone and a total of 17 Old Testament books that give prominence to the second coming of the Lord. That's in the Old Testament. When you go to the New Testament, of the 260 chapters in the entire New Testament, there are 318 references to Christ's second coming. That averages out to one out of every 30 verses. One out of every 30 verses is going to focus on and mention and emphasize and remind us that Jesus is coming again. Furthermore, you know, there are 27 books in the New Testament. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. 23 out of 27. That leaves only four books that do not refer directly to the second coming. And interestingly enough, three of these four books that do not mention it are single chapter letters which were written to specific persons on a particular subject. And so the New Testament is filled with the whole idea of the return of Jesus. I told you early on in this series, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians talks about the return of the Lord Jesus. And here's something really interesting. As we're kind of moving into fall and we're moving into Thanksgiving and Christmas, it'll be here before we know it. Another interesting factor that Gene Getz mentioned is that for every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ when he was born as the babe in Bethlehem. For every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight prophecies on Christ's second coming. Eight to one. Now we love thinking about the first coming, but eight to one there. More times where it's mentioned about his second coming. So think about just how important this subject is. It's not just something we kind of brush off and say, that's not for me. No, God wants you to know with a certainty that Jesus is coming again. But there's a third principle that I need to give you as you're thinking about Bible prophecy, as you're studying on your own, and if you hear a sermon or a lesson, and that is the idea that the study of prophecy is focused on ministry, not just curiosity. It's focused on ministry, not just curiosity. Some, some get caught up in the facts and the events and they forget that there's a purpose behind our study of prophecy. There's a purpose behind our learning these things. We're going to notice today as we study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that the Scripture says that we're to take these truths that we're going to talk about here concerning the day of the Lord and we're to use them to um, comfort one another and we're to use them to edify or build up one another. It's not just like these are curious facts, like if we ever get on Jeopardy and they ask a question from the Bible, we can buzz in quickly and, and give the answer. That's not the idea at all. There's a purpose behind it, and that purpose is, is encouragement and, and, and lots of other things, but especially ministry. There's a purpose behind this. And so the three principles that I want you to hang on to today when it comes to studying prophecy is humility, certainty, and ministry. All right? Now, you found your place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We ended up our time, last time we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we ended up talking about 
the next great event on the prophetic calendar for us. And that is the rapture of the church. So I want you to look at this chart again. And you find right here we're living in the church age. There's the cross, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're in the church age. And the next great event, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, is the rapture of the church. And when we go up to be with the Lord, we know that we, the earth, those that remain, enter into this tribulation time. Seven years. Seven years of tribulation in Armageddon. And then there's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the millennial, and we can go on from there. But what I'm reminding you of today is I, I, I emphasize that to you, and very, very important. You've got to keep in your mind that this is one part of his return, and this is another part of his return. There's two phases to the return of the Lord Jesus, if you want to say it that way. The rapture is the next event. Not, we're not waiting for anything else to happen. Nothing else has to happen. The rapture can happen at any time where we'll be called up. The dead in Christ will rise first, receive their glorified, perfected bodies. Then we which are alive remain shall be called up together with them. And then we'll go from there, and it's not on the chart, but we'll go to the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is where our lives are examined and we receive rewards based upon our faithfulness and our ministry and our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we know later the Bible talks about that we will return with Christ. So here we meet the Lord in the air. Here the Lord comes back to the earth and sets up His millennial kingdom. And we're not going to get into much of that today, but it's just you need to get kind of a hold of that. In your mind, always keep separate in your thinking the rapture and the second coming. So when you talk about the signs of the times, those signs are often talking about this. But we know before that, seven years, we've got to back up and there's this, there's the rapture. And so when we see signs from Scripture being fulfilled, it certainly does give us an indication that the rapture must be close because the rapture takes place first and then there's the tribulation time and then Jesus Christ comes again to the earth. So, you're going to see today when we read, the Bible talks about, it refers to these things as the times and the seasons and it refers to it as the day of the Lord. Times and seasons and the day of the Lord. Now, we can't do a deep dive because we're just going to focus on what's here in the Scripture. But I'm hoping this will help you to clarify some things. If you're confused, I hope you can kind of wrap your arms and leave a little more confident in your understanding, a little more encouraged in it. And I hope that those who already kind of have these things nailed down, that you'll be even more encouraged as we study the Bible. So you're there in 1 Thessalonians. Let's begin in verse, five, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. Remember, he's going to talk about the times and seasons and the day of the Lord. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. 
But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Now, I want to focus on three main thoughts, three main areas today. First of all, let's talk about what we don't know. What we don't know. And that seems like a funny heading, doesn't it? I mean, the preacher's first point is what we don't know. We could wax eloquent all day on that, couldn't we? All the things that we do not know. But there's so much we don't know. There's so much. You go from Genesis to Revelation. There's so much we don't know. But I just want to think about in regards to this passage of Scripture. It's clear that we do not know when the Lord Jesus is coming again. Verse number 2 says that He's going to come as a thief in the night. Now, when a thief comes to your house, he doesn't send a text message the day before and say, by the way, I'm going to be stopping by your house tomorrow night and so you leave the door unlocked, it'd be very helpful. No, a thief comes unexpectedly. A thief comes suddenly. A thief catches us off guard if we're not careful. And it says that the coming of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the night. There's a surprise when a thief comes. And when it comes to the return of the Lord Jesus, the rapture, that's the next great event, nobody knows when that's going to take place. In fact, these are the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what Jesus said in Acts 1, 7. And He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. It's interesting, the very first verse in our passage, they talk about the times and the seasons. If someone tells you that they figured out when the rapture is going to happen, they figured out when Jesus is going to come back. They've got it all figured out and they can show you charts and drafts and maps and calendars and they give you a date. Show them to the door. They are a false prophet. Show them to the door. Nobody, the Scripture is very clear, no one knows when the Lord Jesus is coming again. He could come this very moment. We do not know. We're supposed to be ready at any moment for Him to come. We don't know when He's going to come. So what we don't know... Well, thankfully, we can talk about, secondly, what we do know. There are some things we do know. We do know this. He is coming again. There's that certainty there. We know that He's coming again. This brings up the whole concept here. You noticed it where it talked about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. We need to understand what that's all about. What is the day of the Lord? We need to understand this is not referring to a 24-hour day. This is not referring to a 24-hour day. This is referring to a period of time. And this day of the Lord, or times and seasons, this day of the Lord, it, it, it begins with the rapture. And it goes through the end times events. It's the day of the Lord. It's that, that period of time that encompasses so much. David Jeremiah said the day of the Lord encompasses all the end time events yet remaining on God's prophetic calendar. He elaborates by saying the day of the Lord extends from the rapture to the tribulation to the millennium and concludes with the great white throne judgments after which God's eternal kingdom begins. So let me show you that chart again. So when we think about this, there's the great white throne. The day of the Lord would encompass all of this. It's a period 
of time. It's a period of time. The times and the seasons. Now the interesting thing is the day of the Lord is mentioned not just here. In fact, it's mentioned many times in the Old Testament. You go back and study the Old Testament, it talks about the day of the Lord. Let me show you, share with you what William MacDonald said. He said in the Old Testament, this term, the day of the Lord, was used to describe any time of judgment, desolation, and darkness. It was a time when God marched forth against the enemies of Israel and punished them. But it was also any occasion on which God punished His own people for their idolatry and backsliding. Basically, it spoke of judgment on sin, of victory for the cause of the Lord, and untold blessings for His faithful people. So when you read the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it could be in regards to God's people as He's disciplining them. It could be in regards to His the enemies of God's people as He's punishing them. It's the idea of judgment, but it can have the idea of blessing. I mentioned it's, it's talked about a lot in the Old Testament. Let me give you just one reference. I just want to read you one passage talking about the day of the Lord. Zephaniah 1. Now, you can just listen because you ain't going to be able to find it fast enough. But anyway, <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 1. Let me just read you verses 14 to 16. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. It is a day of trouble. It's a day of doom. It's a day of darkness. And when you think about the day of the Lord, you back up there, you think about the rapture, that issues right into the tribulation time. And it's going to be a day of doom and darkness and gloom. But in the midst of that, there will also be some blessing as believers will come to the Lord and Christians will be saved. But as we're thinking about all that we know about this, we know that there are different elements when it comes to the day of the Lord. There is doom and there is deliverance. Did you notice that in our passage? Go back to our passage today. Notice there's doom for those who don't know God. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. We're back in 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, so there's this whole idea of security, this whole idea we're okay. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Notice how sudden it is. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. There's going to be doom. But here's the glorious thing, beloved. There's also going to be deliverance. Those of us who know the Lord, those of us who are saved, if you're a Christian here, you're not going to suffer through that doom. We're not going to endure the wrath of God. You're still there. Look at verse 4. But you, brethren, notice the contrast? They're not going to escape. They're going to experience God's judgment. But you, brethren, verse 4, are not in darkness so that this day, the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. You all are sons of light. And sons of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Drop down to verse 9 and 10. Notice what it says. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that is whether we're alive or we're already dead, we should live together with Him. In other words, it's another reason why I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. I talked to you about that the other week. Pre-tribulational rapture, that is the belief... That Christians who are now us, 
when that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation time comes. We're going to be caught up together with the Lord. We're going to be removed from all of this doom that's coming. And I think verse 9 is a great proof of that because it says God did not appoint us unto wrath. We're not going to live under the wrath of God. We've been delivered from the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has delivered us. We placed our faith in Him and Him alone. We're going to be removed. We're not appointed to wrath. And so we know, as we're looking at this, the day of the Lord is going to be a day of trouble, a day of darkness, a day of doom. But it's also deliverance for us because we're going to be removed from that because God has not appointed us to wrath. So we know what we don't know. (laughs) We know some of what we do know. Now let's talk about what do we do with what we know. Oh, that's always the issue, isn't it? For students especially, you give them all this information like, well, what do we do with it now? Well, I think we need to talk about that. What do we do with what we know? I think there are four takeaways that we can talk about here and we need to put these into practice from this passage. Four things we need to do with this. So it's not enough. Remember, it's not just curiosity. It's not just, oh, well, I know now the rapture's next and that's going to be cool. You know, and I know, well, then the tribulation's going to come and then, then there's the Armageddon and then we have the second coming and the millennium, the great white throne, the judgment of Christ is over here. It's not just you can write it on a piece of paper. It's not just you can explain it. It's not even that you fully understand it. It's what do you do with the truth. It's not just curiosity. Remember I told you it's ministry. What do we do with it? Well, four, four takeaways. Number one, we should live as children of the day. Children of the day. Did you notice there's a contrast drawn in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? It talks about the children of the day, and then it talks about those that are of the night or darkness. Those that are in light and day and those that are in darkness and night. The contrast drawn there between night and day is basically talking about those that are lost, those who don't know Jesus, and those who do. Look again at verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Look at verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. When it talks about sober there, it's not just referring to alcohol or drugs. This is talking about moral cleanness. It's talking about abiding in faith and hope and love. We see a picture there of the breastplate. We think about the armor of God. It's the idea that we live right. We live like children of the light. Why? Because we know that Jesus can return at any moment. It's a great motive to live as children of the day. It's a great motive to be serving Him and to be loving Him and loving others, to be carrying forth our life in a way that would honor Him, to obey the Word. You see, the, the whole idea behind the second coming is not just, just, just curiosity. It's, it's ministry. It's living. It's life. Think about when you were growing up and your parents, they they went out for the evening and you you were kind of on your own and it was you and your siblings and y'all just partied hardy, but you knew they were coming back. And because you knew they were coming back, that hopefully helped you not to do some really dumb things because you knew they were coming back and you might experience their wrath. There was no rapture at that point for you. You might go to heaven if they killed you, but anyway, you knew 
that they were coming back, it, it motivated you not to beat up one another. It motivated you not to tear up the house. You knew that they were coming back. Well, as Christians, we know that He's coming back. He could come at any moment. And I don't know about you, but there's some things and some places I don't want to be and I don't want to be doing when the Lord Jesus, that trumpet sounds and it's time for me to go up because I'm going to stand before Him. And I'm going to give an account for my life. Not about heaven and hell, that's settled forever at the cross, but about rewards. And there's a motivation. He says, live as children of the day. Live like Christians are supposed to live. That's not legalism. We just don't hear enough about that. You, you talk about, you know, the Bible says don't do this. Oh, that's legalism. That's judgment. No, it's, it's the truth of the Word of God. There's certain things we should do, certain things we should not do. Why? Because we love Him. We want to please Him. And He has our best in mind. And when He tells us not to do things, it's because He loves us and He wants to bless us. So we should live as children of the day. But there's a second takeaway. And that is this. When you think about the day of the Lord, you think about the rapture, you think about all that's coming when it comes to end times, it says here very clearly we're to comfort other believers. Comfort other believers. Verse 11 says this. Verse 11 says to comfort one another. This is not, though this should not be a confusing, frightening truth for the Christian. And by the way, it's okay to be confused. It's okay to not know a lot of things. It's okay to not even be able to kind of maybe articulate it. But, but understanding and accepting that Jesus is coming again and knowing that with certainty, that should not be frightening to the child of God. That should be a comforting truth. Because all the mess that we have going on around us, Jesus is going to set it all right. He's going to straighten it all out. All the problems we have, all the issues we have, it's not always going to be like this. We're not always going to struggle through life. That's a comforting thought to know He's going to set everything the way it ought to be. And He says very clearly here, comfort one another, which brings us to the third takeaway. He said also also edify other believers. He says in verse 11 again that we're to edify one another. Edify means to build up one another with this truth. Remind each other. It's not always going to be this way. Remind each other that Jesus is coming again. Remind each other that it's worth the effort with God enabling you to live a life that is pleasing to Him because He's coming again. Edify, build up one another with the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But there's a fourth one. And I think this is an important takeaway, and it's this. Because of these things, because of what we read today, you know it says there in verse number 3 that they, those who don't know Christ will not escape. It's a terrifying time for them. We should warn the lost. We should remind people, tell people, warn people that if they reject Jesus, they're going to suffer. They're going to suffer horribly here through the tribulation time or ever how long they last to the tribulation time. And then they're going to go to a Christless eternity in a horrible place called hell. There's no time to lose concerning this, beloved, because we do not know when Jesus Christ is coming again. 
It can happen any moment. There's no time to lose. We need to be sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We heard this morning, this precious young man we put on our prayer list, 17 years old. We think of that whole life ahead of him. And yet his life was snuffed out in a moment. We need to be telling others the gospel. In many ways, we've lost that urgency. And I understand why. Because we get very busy. We're very busy people. And God has blessed us. But the sad thing is, a lot of times we lose the urgency because of all the blessings that God has given us. We're blessed in so many ways and we're so busy with our blessings, we forget the one who blessed us and we forget what the one who blessed us told us to do. And that is to tell others about Jesus Christ. We need to warn the lost. Share the gospel with your friends. I reminded our team kid groups that I spent some time with Wednesday night. I, I took a globe in. We talked about the world and we talked about the fact that God loves all the people of the world. And that God puts different Christians in different places in the world, but He's put us where we are, and we're all missionaries. All of us. In our mind, we think, well, the missionaries, that's the one we watch from the video, and that's the people we send overseas, and that's the people we send far away. But the reality is we're all missionaries if we are followers of Jesus Christ. He told us to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Share the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, your family, and everyone else. Now, listen. Let's wrap it up. I want you to hear this. Don't close up shop yet. Yet. Just hold on one more second. Hold on. Remember, before we started today, I gave you three principles for studying prophecy. Did you notice how those three principles work themselves out as we walk through the passage? Did you notice that there is humility. We do not know when Jesus Christ is coming again. Did you notice there is certainty? He is coming again. And did you notice that there is ministry? Therefore, what? Comfort one another and edify one another with these truths. Let's do that. And let's do it this week. Let's bow together. Father, thank You for Your love. Thank You that we are not left to ourselves. Thank You for giving us these precious truths. Help us to comfort and edify one another with the certainty that Jesus Christ is coming again. Help us to be encouraged by the truths that we're learning and help us to share these with others. If there's anybody here right now that they themselves do not have the certainty that if the rapture were to happen this moment that they would go up to be with Jesus, I pray that you would convict their heart, convert them, Lord, bring them to saving faith in Christ alone. Help us, Father, as we go to our jobs and school and activities this week to truly live as children of the day, letting our light shine brightly for the Lord Jesus. Give us opportunities this week to share a clear 
gospel presentation with someone and help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a closing hymn today. Number 429, and the altar is open. If you need to come and pray, if you need to be saved today, if you have questions still, you say, well, I, don't, I don't know about a lot of this. I don't understand a lot of this. We would love to talk with you more about it. I'm here. Pastor Larry's here. Others would be happy to talk with you. But know that the altar is open. You can come at any time during the closing song, and we would love to pray with you. If you just want to come on your own and pray, maybe God has burdened your heart about somebody in particular. Some name has popped in your mind, and you're burdened about it. Come pray for them today. Ask God to save them. Ask God to deliver them. Ask God to use you in in sharing that if that's His will uh, concerning their life. 429, let's stand up and sing Sweet Hour of Prayer.